Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, The Gospel of John, That You May Believe, You Must Believe, Part 1. The original date of this message was the 6th of November, 2022. Well, welcome. Good morning once again. You guys enjoy this cooler weather this morning? Pretty sweet. Hey, I, I see in, in front of me Angel and, and his family. Thank you for joining us. We've been praying for you guys, and we are so, so appreciative of your, your love and care for Larissa and that we have you guys here with us this morning. So thanks. We find ourselves this morning back in the Gospel of John and what John has penned his, his purpose The reason why he wrote this entire gospel account for us is that you might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that believing that you might have life. This morning we find ourselves continuing on in John chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. And I thought it would be good for us to back all the way up and go to the beginning of of John chapter 3 and reread again what we looked at last week, reminding all of ourselves of the importance of what Jesus is communicating to this man Nicodemus. And it's interesting as we walk or have been walking through these first several chapters in the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ hasn't said much to, to many people. We don't have too much dialogue happening. He goes and upturns everything in the temple. And then when asked, he, he says, you've, you've turned my, my father's house into something that it should not be. You've turned it into a meat market in a place where you just make money. We've seen him go to a wedding, a time of joy, and, and do what he didn't have to do, be a blessing to them. Turning water into wine, no doubt pointing to what he would do later through the life-giving death that he would offer on sin's behalf. Then we saw his first followers, and he didn't have much communication with them. He spoke to Nathanael and told him, hey, I saw you under a tree. And that was enough for Nathanael to respond, hey, you must be the son of God. So he's done a a lot of, of things that allowed people to respond and follow him, but we haven't seen too much communication, too many words from the Lord Jesus Christ. Until we get to chapter three, and we have this man, Nicodemus, come to Jesus at night. And basically, seek Jesus and wanting to know what Jesus is really all about. Thinking that he is just like every other God-sent prophet that has come before him. That he certainly can't do the things that he's doing unless God is with him. And yet we see in the responses that Jesus gives to Nicodemus, he wasn't ready for the responses. So turn with me to John chapter 3, and let's begin at 1. 
and go all the way to verse 15. You'll notice I'm stopping at probably the the most familiar, the most famous verse in all of Scripture. Everybody knows John 3.16. You'll see it written on on billboards or little posters at, at the Super Bowl. See it all over the place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we're going to jump into that in a couple weeks, paving the way for our further thanksgiving. In God, why? Because he sent Jesus Christ to die in the place of, of ruined sinners like me, like you. But those are the words of John. Those aren't the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus stops in verse 15. So I, I want us again to picture this Nicodemus coming to Jesus late at night. And this interaction that happens. And as we looked at last week, we saw this emphasis on this word born. Born, born, born. You must be born again. That's Jesus' response. That's where Jesus goes over and over again. And in these first eight verses, but what we're going to see in verses 9 to 15, and it'll continue on through 21, is a different word. Not born, but what allows us to be born, believe. Belief. Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where Jesus goes when he's one-on-one with Nicodemus, and he could tell him anything. He could spend all sorts of time going back into the Old Testament, and instead he, he breaks down into these two Oh, so significant things. And so the message that Jesus is giving Nicodemus and what we're going to see oh so clearly this morning is it is a message of deliverance. I've come to deliver you, whether you recognize it or not. Believe in me, and then you will have what you cannot get on your own. New life, eternal life. And you will be born again. So begin with me in verse 1. But you guys don't read, I'll do the reading. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I am certain that is not what Nicodemus was thinking Jesus' response would be. He just gave Jesus this wonderful compliment, and Jesus' response is, Well, okay, yeah, that's great, but you need to be, what, born again? Or you will not enter the kingdom of God. Man, I want you to enter the kingdom of God. No doubt I'm thankful that you came, that you are seeking But you need to understand what I'm saying to you. You must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And then notice Nicodemus' response. And he's definitely not an unwise man, even though as we see, we're going to see that he doesn't get things very quickly. But look at how he responds. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Is he literally thinking that would happen? No, he's letting Jesus know, hey, what what you're telling me to do, it, it doesn't make any sense. I'm an old man. I've been doing this a long time. Are you really expecting me to change? 
to stop living the way that I've been living, trying to earn my own salvation all this time and, and, and just give up and have faith in you instead of myself, instead of trusting in me. And then he goes on, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You need something outside of yourself, Nicodemus. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. We're gonna see Jesus being a little bit amazed in the way that Nicodemus responds to him. But Jesus is telling him, hey, don't be amazed with anything that I tell you. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then notice, Nicodemus said to him, he still doesn't get it, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Let's pray for this morning's message for our time in the word of God. Heavenly Father, we, we would be kidding ourselves if we thought that we were as smart, as intelligent, had a grasp of religious things as good as Nicodemus does. We likewise would be kidding ourselves if we truly understood the significance of death because so often we just grow callous to it even though it's all around us. Open our eyes this morning to see what you want us to see. To understand what you want us to understand. And to behold you in all your glory and your glorious gospel. That you are the great deliverer. And that what you offer us is deliverance. As seen so many years ago with Moses and the nation of Israel being bitten by all of those snakes and dying right there in the desert. You have given us a cure for, for what we've been bitten by, our, our, our sinful ways, Lord. There's none of us that escapes it. We all fall short of what your standard is, Lord. Perfection, holiness, being set apart from sin. But by your incredible grace, you make a way. And you made a way through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, may you be honored this morning. May you be exalted. May you be lifted high. We thank you for your word and how you've revealed yourself to us. Now guide our time and set me aside and speak to us through your word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So if we break this up between what we saw last week and what we saw this week, what we see is two aspects of what Jesus is trying to get across to Nicodemus. Two things that he says this must happen in order for you to be saved. 
Number one, you must be born again. Number two, you must believe in me that I am the son of man, that I am the son of God, that I am the promised redeemer, savior that was to come, that was promised back in the Old Testament, that will be able to save you from your sins. And he says you cannot enter into the kingdom, not only without being born again, but without believing. And that's where I, I came up with the, the title this morning, You Must Believe. Not just you must believe in anything, but you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, is your Savior. That he died upon the cross to pay for sin's price. And he's going to give us this beautiful picture of what that looked like. Back in the days of Moses, in order to point Nicodemus to something that he already knew. That God saved the nation of Israel that day through them looking at this bronze serpent, this fake serpent that Moses held. And it was only through looking at that serpent that, that you would be able to escape the death that these snakes were causing. That everybody that was being bit was dying. And in the same way, Jesus is now pointing to himself saying, hey, that is what I am going to be. The way that that bronze serpent was lifted up, I am going to be lifted up upon this cross. And what you must do is you must believe. And so we're going to see over the, the next couple sermons, and this is part one, and then we'll do part two in a couple weeks, is just how belief is being highlighted here by our Lord. Some seven, eight times it's mentioned, just as we saw being born being mentioned so much last week. It's clear that what Jesus is trying to get across is that you and I must believe. What is not so easy is to just take Jesus at his word and believe him. Right? We have so many things that we bring into the mix. And what does Nicodemus bring into the mix? Nicodemus brings his entire past of earning God's favor in the way that he lived. Earning his own righteousness thinking that that was what was making God pleased with him by living up to the righteous standards of all the law. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to be born again. You need to stop thinking in terms of the way that you think is a Pharisee. And now he's saying, and you must understand that it's not by your works, but it's by faith in me, by believing in me. So first, what we are going to see this morning is the basis of belief. What do we base our belief on? What is Jesus saying? What, why, do, why should you believe me? And he's going to point to two things. He's going to point to the word of God and he's going to point to himself, which is the living word. And then we're going to see the picture of belief and that's all we're going to have time for this morning when we come back in a couple weeks after the men's retreat next week. Then we're going to see the promise of belief so beautifully given for us in John 3, 16 and 17. And then finally, the need of belief. But let's start this morning off here with the basis of belief. And this is where Nicodemus gets hung up. He hears Jesus, but... That, that 
That belief where he hears and it goes down deep into his heart and becomes then true, true. Yes, that is what I believe was not there. That's the way that our people in Papua New Guinea would say it. Oh man, that truth of what Jesus did, it, it went into my ears, but instead of just coming out the other side, it went in, and went down deep into my heart. And then my heart grabbed hold of it. And it became then my voice of saying, yes, I believe that is true. With one true and only one true thinking, I say, yes, that is true. And that is what Jesus is encouraging Nicodemus to do with this, giving him the basis of belief. But notice where Nicodemus starts. He starts off where, where all of us start off. I'm not so certain about this. As Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? What things? He's pointing back again to how can, how can I truly be born again of the Spirit? How can I really, really... Do this. And Jesus is going to say, you don't do this. I'm going to do this on your behalf. I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to take your place upon the cross. You believe unto me and let me handle it. It's by my grace. It's a gift that you are given, that you are to receive, not to earn. And the basis of all of this is upon the word of God. And so what does he do? He, he gives Nicodemus some, some lifelines, so to speak, pointing him to what he already knows, which is the word of God. Remember, this is a man who understood, he memorized great, huge amounts of the Old Testament. He taught the Old Testament. So anytime that he mentions something, Nicodemus' mind would just automatically go to Scripture. It would go to Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 to 20, which says this, and I will give them one heart. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus comes, solidifying the idea that, no, this idea of being born again and receiving a new heart was not some sort of new discussion point. Not a new theology, not a new understanding. This was something that God had given to his people even back then. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. And then they will be my people and I shall be their God. No, this wasn't new to Nicodemus. The problem is Nicodemus is just like you and I. He's not so quick to listen and understand. Even when God's word is being proclaimed and understood. Turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. I I believe this is a, a good picture of what Nicodemus would understand from God's word. Or might I say better, what Nicodemus should have understood from God's word. As we're going to see, he's a teacher. He's the teacher. So I'm thinking he's gone to Isaiah. And I'm thinking that he's actually preached and taught out of these passages of scripture. And he understands the significance of the word of God. And he would have dove into the Hebrew and he would have understand all the intricacies of what is being communicated here and yet he missed it. 
And now as Jesus Christ, God in flesh, is speaking to him, it's just going right over his head. Why? Because his heart is hardened. And he needs God to illuminate him. He needs God to open his eyes to understand, oh man, don't you get this? I am the key to eternal life. It's not you and what you do, it's me. Look at what it says in Isaiah 55. Let's start with the first three verses and then we'll go to 6 to 11. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Does that sound like a God who just wants to keep God's, his grace from people? No. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. What is that a picture of? That is a picture of the bankruptcy that we are in ourselves. That all of us are spiritually bankrupt. That we deserve hell and eternal punishment. But by God and his wonderful grace, he says, no. That doesn't have to define you. That isn't what your future has to be. Paying sin's price, the price of your sin, by being eternally separated from me. And being tormented in hell. No, what, what he says is, no, come, my grace. My grace is here for you. By faith, not by what all you can do. All you must do is believe. Why do you spend money? Look at verse 2. For what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy. How many of us, before we came to Christ, we tried to fill our lives with all sorts of things that never gave us true contentment, happiness? Or satisfied us. And we just kept going after the next thing over and over again. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance, in God's grace. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Yes, the greatest king ever. I'm going to bless you the way that I blessed him. Why? Because that's the kind of God that I am. And all you must do is come by faith. Look at verse six. six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't wait. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and, and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That is the forgiveness found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Abundantly pardon. Not just a little bit. Abundantly. Grace upon grace upon grace that is overflowing that will never run dry. I mean, how cool is that? How many hundreds of years ago did Isaiah the prophet write this long before Jesus Christ came? And then we see this that puts everything into perspective, that allows us to understand why Nicodemus didn't get what Jesus was saying. Because our thoughts aren't like God's thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. I know this doesn't make any sense, but that's who I am. I am a God that is greater than you can imagine. So even though you don't pay for this, you're giving this as a gift, that is part of my plan. And my thoughts more than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, 
and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So you take that. What will God's word accomplish? It will accomplish everything that he promised in his word. So when we start in the beginning of Genesis and right after Adam and Eve and the fall of man and God says what? God says that he's going to bite your heel. You're going to crush his head. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Savior will come and he will destroy, he will deliver us all from death. That that has to happen because everything that God says is going to happen, happens. That's what we've been promised in his word, that it will come to fruition. And all of that has been given to Nicodemus. And all of that understanding was his understanding. And yet there was a problem. And, and what is Nicodemus's problem? It's the same problem that we all have. It, it is called a hard heart, a calloused heart. You don't like it when somebody says something that goes against what you think. And so this goes against everything that Nicodemus thought. The Pharisees were Pharisees because of the way that they lived, the way that they acted, the rules that they kept. And Jesus is saying, no, that will not get you to heaven. You must be born again. It's Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, where the apostle Paul says this, natural man does not accept the things from the spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You, you need God's help to open up your eyes to see and understand this. This is why in a location like the middle of nowhere in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, when we shared this gospel with them for the very first time, and we're talking about a people group that had never seen anybody outside of their own village line, never seen anybody that didn't have dark skin and curly hair. They didn't know exactly who we were, what we'd come to do, even though we told them, hey, we are here to give you God's talk. And when we presented that, that there were some in the village that, that believed wholeheartedly, there were others that said, no. I just want what you can give me. Call them rice Christians. Hey, just give me, you know, stuff, the goods, the cargo. What you really came here is to, is to give us batteries for our flashlights. Hey, where's the rice? That, that's what we really want. Stop talking about this Jesus guy. That isn't what we want. That doesn't help me. And others are all, oh, are you kidding? That's all that I want. I want to know more about him because our life is so hard. And, and, and then we die. And we know that there's something after this life, but we don't know what that is. And so you get two different responses to exactly the same message. And this is what we see in the life of Nicodemus. That his problem is at a heart level, whether Nicodemus recognizes it or not. And then notice how Jesus answers him. Again, I, I've got to think this blew his mind. Just as the very first time we said, hey, the answer is you need to be born again. Here now he, he focuses on Nicodemus. 
kind of gets in his face. Are you kidding me? Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Hey, this isn't new. You, you should know this. But you don't. You do not get it. And then he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whenever he repeats himself, we must take notice. What he's saying is something of emphasis. Not that what he said before isn't important, but this is really, really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. That you there is in the plural. He's not just saying, just you, Nicodemus. He's talking to the entire nation of Israel. They all don't get it. And yet Nicodemus, let's not throw him under the bus. He is here. He is seeking truth from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. And Jesus Christ is being so gracious to him. But he's not mincing any words. He's going right for Nicodemus' heart. He knows what Nicodemus is trusting in. He knows what makes Nicodemus tick. And so he goes right to that. And then at this point, what is he doing? He's laying down his authority. He's saying, you know what makes my talk different than anybody else's? It's where I come from. It's who I am. There's never been another one like me. Why? Because I come from heaven. And what I say to you is based upon what? Who I am, that I am God. We speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen. What has Jesus seen? Jesus has seen heaven because he comes from heaven. So he is the only one who can speak with authority as to what heaven is truly like and how we can arrive in heaven. That is what he's getting at. I believe that we could also refer, yes, to the Trinity, that he is indeed God, that he has always been God. So he can speak with that authority, but I also believe it It's pointing to the followers of Jesus. And we've only seen a couple of them identified up to this point in John chapter 3. But what we see is them saying some amazing things about who Jesus is. John the Baptist, what what does he say? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the end of chapter 1, we have Nathaniel answer him after Jesus says, hey, I... I know where you were when Philip came and talked to you and called you to me. You were under this tree. And then his response is, are you kidding me? You must be God. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to us, but it made sense to Nathaniel. Nobody else could know where he was when Philip came to him unless he was God. And Jesus is pointing right back to that and saying, all of these guys that speak on behalf of what they're speaking of, it's on on my authority. That is why the word of God is central to everything that we believe in as a church. Because you're not taking this at my word. You take it as God's word from God's word. And anything that I say, you go back and look at it. You make sure that I'm staying true to God's word and what is being communicated. And we don't swerve from this. Because when we do, then it just becomes everybody's thoughts and opinions. And God's word can mean a hundred different things because we have a hundred different people giving their own little slant on what it means. God had one intended meaning for his word through the author. Author is, he wrote it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the we here is pointing to all of that. 
And then he says this, are you kidding me? If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Hey, I want to tell you about redemption. I want to tell you that I am going to die upon the cross for the sin of mankind. Hey, I want you to understand that I am God, that I am God the Son, that I'm not a son, that I am God. But in order for you to understand the way that God exists in relationship with himself, there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand all these things. But you know what? You can't even understand when I talk to you about the wind. That's how callous you are, Nicodemus. Please wake up. I'm trying to get through to you. That's what Jesus is saying here. And then he says, 13, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven. Then he gives us this title. The same title that Stephen uses in Acts chapter 7. For who? For the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a title for Jesus. He is not just the son of God that we saw in John chapter 1, verse 49. He, he is also the son of man. Clearly showing us that he is 100% man and he is 100% God. But the 100% man side of him is sinless. Why? Because of the virgin birth. So he's unlike any other man that walked this planet. He's amazing. No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's why we can take Jesus at his word. That's why we can take all of what we have at Scripture as being verifiably true in all that it says. Because man is not the author, God is. It's what we see over and over again as we look at God's word. But what does this term, the son of man, mean? As I said, it's in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen. As the first martyr in Christ's church is about to die, the heavens open up. And he's able to see into heaven. And Jesus Christ has already died upon the cross. And he's already risen from the dead. And he's already hung out with people. Been seen by hundreds of people. And then he's ascended on high. And then who? Is, he is now reigning on high. And as Stephen is about to die, he says this, look, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But where we see it the most is in Daniel. That's how Stephen knew of the Son of God. It's going to be a term used for Jesus throughout John. And this is what Daniel has to say. In, John, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Why is he not perfectly a son of man? Because he's perfectly God and perfectly man. He had no sinful nature. So he is like man, but he is not like you and I in that sense that he has no sin. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, speaking of God the Father, and was led into his presence. Normally that would cause you to die. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
This is speaking of the eternal kingdom, that he's been given those keys. And who is he identified as? He's identified as the Son of Man. And who is the Son of Man identified as? The Lord Jesus Christ. They are one and the same. But in this title and in this description of Jesus showing us that he comes with all authority, with all power, and with all glory, and yet his glory was veiled. Because if his glory wasn't veiled, anybody who saw Jesus walking on this earth would have just been done. And yet for all of that, he doesn't leave it there. Jesus also adds to this notion the idea that the Son of Man will also come in humiliation that he will come, come in suffering, and that he will die. This is where he goes next with this picture of belief. He wanted to give Nicodemus something that he could understand. Hey, you don't recognize it, but you are dying. You are a dead man. You don't recognize it right now, but you've already been bit by these fiery serpents. And if things don't change and you don't believe in me, then where you're going to end up for all of eternity is separated from me in eternal punishment and torment. And so he gives him this picture of belief that, that Nicodemus totally would have understood. You and I, not so much. Unless you've heard of this before. And look at what he says in verses 14 to 15 as we see this, the picture of belief. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes in, whoever believes will in him have eternal life. You see then eternal life keyed in, dependent upon believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. As in, you don't have belief, you don't have eternal life. And then he points to this as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What what is that all about? Turn with me to the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. And and here we see what Jesus is talking about. Numbers chapter 21. And if you're like me, you can identify with with the, the nation of Israel here. Just becoming impatient, becoming discontent with whatever you've been given in life. And instead of rejoicing and being thankful, even in the season that we're in right now, you turn everything into gloom and doom. And you wish that you had something better than what you actually have been given. So look at Numbers 21. In verses, we'll just do verses four to nine. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the people became impatient because of the journey. Perhaps you can relate. The people spoke against God and Moses. Listen to what they say. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this miserable food. Well, wait, I thought you just said there wasn't any food. Well, there was food. (laughs) You just don't want it. It's manna. What's it called? What is it? They don't even know what it is. You'd get tired of eating the same food after a couple months as well. And so we see their attitude. They're complaining. 
They're complaining to God and they're complaining to Moses. They're saying, why did you do this? Why did you show us your miraculous power when we called out for you to save us and take us from the slavery that we were in Egypt only to lead us out here to die? And then listen to what the Lord does in verse six. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. They believe, at least the historians, Bible scholars, that these were snakes that somehow had a crazy kind of venom in them that gave them almost like an instant malaria where their fevers just shot up so high that there was no way to come out of it and they died. Very difficult to escape. So difficult that they don't even bother trying. They figure out what they've done that was wrong. Look at verse seven. So the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. So you have to picture the situation. They're all being bit by the snake. And I don't know what this looked like if they did some sort of football thing and these guys over here blocked these guys off so they could run over to just talk to Moses. But they're all within the same kind of vicinity. And so they come to Moses, these representatives, and they say, hey, we blew it. Will you please ask the Lord to help us? And we want you to tell him to take away the snakes. That isn't what God does. God instead keeps the snakes and tells Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make this fake serpent thing, this bronze serpent. I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to hold it. And in order for anybody to be saved, they have to look at that pole. They have to look at that snake. They can't just want to. They can't wallow in their misery down here and say, oh, I wish I could look, but I just, no, no, they, they must. They must recognize their need for help. That is what we must do. And listen, they can't look at some wannabe bronze serpent. Nobody else that would make this would work, Moses. It has to be what I tell you to do, and you must be the one holding it. And I wonder on the side, and this is just Pastor Jason's weird thoughts, where was Moses standing? Was he among all these snakes? Was he freaking out and scared as much as all of them? I heard Moses learned so much walking by faith that he trusted God entirely. And so then we see that it didn't matter where you were. Even if you couldn't really make out the snake, you just knew, oh, I, I think it's, it's that, that bronze serpent. I can kind of see Moses standing there. And that was enough. It didn't matter how sick you were, that you were this close to dying or you'd just gotten bit and the fever hadn't even hit you yet. Once you looked, you were then what? Healed. You were delivered. It didn't matter what your life was like before this, how you followed God or how you didn't follow God, whether you were a good Jew or not a good Jew. Right there and then everything changed. This is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your life was like yesterday. If you do not know him, it is today. And what he offers us is a new life, deliverance. Who's pictured in all the Israelites? That's mankind. We, we've all been bit by the sin snake, so to speak, going back to the garden. We're all born into sin. We don't have to teach our kids to do the wrong thing. They do it naturally. 
We all know our own hearts. We, we do the wrong thing naturally too. I've been walking with Jesus a long time and I wish to say that I was perfect. I know my wife wishes to say I was perfect. We got three kids right now and they are the, the, the best thing for sanctifying me and making me more like Jesus than, than anything I've been in contact with for quite a while. Why? Because my sinful flesh wants to respond in all sorts of wrong ways. Oh yeah, you're going to respond to me like that? Well then I can do better than you. No. Jesus says, man, I will make you new. Come to me. Look to me. That, that's, that's what the picture of faith is. They had to believe. One, that, that they needed help. That's what you and I believe, right? That we can't do this on our own. Two, that there was no other place to look but Jesus Christ and him and him alone. Not the cross, but the man on the cross, because the cross isn't going to save anybody. But what the cross represents. And then through that, what happens? Everything changes. Their lives change. What is the picture of those snakes on the ground? That goes back to the garden. That goes back to sin. They couldn't get away from it. You and I can't get away from it. We're born into it. The answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is why we see, going back to John chapter 3, verse 15. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Whoever believes what? Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is like that serpent lifted up. That his dying on the cross then gives eternal life. That then paid the price. That he, in a sense, as not in a sense, he is the substitute. In the same way that that snake was a, a substitute. Recognizing that they didn't deserve this grace that God extended to them, just as you and I don't deserve Jesus coming and dying for us. This is a picture of the importance of faith. It wasn't just that they looked up at the snake replica. They recognized God's provision in that bronze serpent. They trusted God at what he said. Do you get that? They had to believe that by looking at this weird snake thing that it was actually going to help. Do you think that there were any there that said, that doesn't make any sense? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard of? No. Honey, let's just run out here and we'll go find a place to hide from the snakes. We don't need to look at that thing. That wouldn't do anything to us, for us. Perhaps that's someone's perspective on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, that that's all you have to do. That's what Jesus says. And then what's the result? What is given for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Eternal life. Do you know how eternal life is defined for us? In the scripture, it's to have a relationship with God. It's to know him and be known by him. And do you notice when that eternal life starts? It starts when you believe, at the moment of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is when this eternal life starts. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. That's not in the future tense, that's 
conditional upon the time that you believe that eternal life then becomes yours. And our tribe, the way that we said that was really cool. So all the way that you, ways that we had to communicate, they were phrases. Why? Because they just didn't have two words you could put together and go, eternal life. We'll just add eternal onto this noun and boom, you got that word. First you had to figure out what they, what they used for the word life. And then you had to figure out what eternal was. So this is how you say it. Many today. It means new eyes that exist forever and ever and ever. That's, that's the way that they looked at eternal life. That it's as when a baby comes. And, and what do they have? Well, because so many of their babies died. They didn't name their babies until they were about six or seven years old. Before that point, it was firstborn male. Firstborn daughter. Secondborn male. Secondborn daughter. Up until the age of like seven and then they'd name them. They'd look to see whether or not their eyes were alive or not because some of their babies, because they were born with malaria and all sorts of other things, that they just weren't really there. Their eyes were sunken in and they knew that that baby wasn't going to last. So this idea of understanding that this is eternal life, it's having new eyes forever. Do you recognize that the moment you believe, that becomes who you are? That is given to you. And that one day we will, we will switch and, and have this body of ours that is decaying, that is just so full of mess, right? And we see it more now than ever, especially with COVID. And yet we can see with, with Larissa standing here just how amazing the body is as well. Are you kidding me? Take somebody else's kid and put it in and then it works? No, and it works better and it works fast? That's God. That is so much God. There's no other way for us to really understand it and say, oh, now it makes sense. And I could tell you story after story of things that would happen in our tribe that it was exactly like this. You can't explain it except for God stepped in and allowed this child that should have died and this guy that got hacked up by a guy with a machete and was bleeding everywhere and I was ready to run into the bush and hide and instead I had all of these ace bandages that had just come, 20 of them, and we used every one of them as as tourniquets on this man's body. And if there wasn't a plane already coming, he would have died. But there was a plane, and we only got a plane like every six weeks. There was already a plane on its way. Within an hour, that plane picked him up, took him out, and he was able to get help. That's God. This is God. Jesus is God. That's what he's saying. Hey, if you want to be delivered, then the only way is through me. That's what that snake's a picture of. It doesn't matter where you've been, who you are. It matters who you believe in and trusting in Jesus. Here's the definition I was looking for for eternal life. It's on my last page of notes. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is what Jesus prays. So sweet. John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Being restored into a right relationship with God, that you then walk with him all of your days, only to then walk with him for all of eternity when you leave this life and go into the next. Amen? Okay, I better quit.
Write this down, John 3, 15. Those are the final words of Jesus to Nicodemus. Write this down, John 7. I know I've sat on this done, but I have to give this to you because this is good stuff. John chapter 7, verses 50 to 52. This is where they are wanting to just indict Jesus without having a trial. The Pharisees are. Nicodemus stands up and protests, and, and, and protests against that. He doesn't want them to convict Christ without a trial. John chapter 19, verses 39 to 40, this is where we see Nicodemus bring these costly oils to the burial tomb, to Jesus Christ, to have his body done upright so that it wouldn't start to smell and decay. You see, we're not given the end of the story. Read it when you get home. 15 does not go right into 16. 16 gives us a synopsis. 16 points forward to Jesus has already died on the cross. Jesus has yet to die on the cross. I, I believe what he's doing is he's pointing everything forward to Nicodemus and saying, hey, this will all make sense as soon as you see me hang on that thing. And does he? We're, we're not told a whole lot about Nicodemus. This is it. John chapter 7. He stands up for Jesus there, and then he brings these oils to Jesus. I believe that's enough. That's enough for us to to at least postulate in some sort of way, man, I believe he's going to be in heaven with us. For those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that Nicodemus will be there. The question is, will you? Don't let another day go by. You don't know what tomorrow holds. There's only one who does. Let me pray us out as Pastor Shane and the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for how telling it is. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your example, because if it was up to me, I probably would have got tired of Nicodemus and sent him away very quickly, especially if he came at night and I wanted to get to bed. But you are nothing like me. And I am so thankful for that. Your grace goes so, so far. And your love goes equally far. And we thank you for sending Jesus. And we thank you for the fact that he was hoisted up on a cross and died just a horrible death and suffered untold pain and agony that we can't even understand being God and having your full wrath poured out upon him. But we rejoice. And we are so thankful that you did, Lord Jesus and that we will never have to taste death because you conquered it in full. And you are our guarantee. So thank you. And thank you for this morning and for your wonderful word. In Jesus' name, amen.